Amen. I love that uh, message of uh, the song, As for Me and My House, inspired from the words of Joshua, as Joshua was leading the nation of Israel through the conquest of Canaan, and they were dealing with rebellious people. Joshua was leading a, a nation, the Israelites, that w- was filled with rebellious people, and oftentimes they, re- they rebelled against uh, the will of God. But Joshua made the statement that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He, he might have not had an impact on what the other houses were doing, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and the authority that, that God gave to Joshua, he ensured that he and his household would serve the Lord. Um, and and that, it's my hope and prayer that with the authority that, that God has given to, to you all, that you use it to ensure that you and your household will serve the Lord. Uh, great, great words for us to ponder and reflect on. So it's been uh, quite the week uh, for me this past uh, this past week. It feels like it's been a long time since we've gathered together, uh, worshiping our heavenly Father. Uh, we after we left church last Sunday, uh, later on in the evening, uh, Jacob and I had the privilege of uh, worshiping with one of our uh, one of the other local churches, Little Country Church, uh, where they are big into their bluegrass music, and it was uh, it was a unique uh, opportunity being able to uh, worship with them and Chuck Graham and his church at the Little Country uh, Church. Um, and then on Monday, got to go to Northwestern uh, Band Concert, where we had the Scaritos and the Vise. Yeah, go, go, go. Uh, yeah, I got to support them. Uh, you guys did an awesome job. And Tuesday through Thursday, had the wonderful opportunity of going to Minister's Conference uh, just down the road at Pleasant Hill Church of God. Uh, it was a great experience for me. There were about 30 of us who were able to go. It was very encouraging. It's a relief uh, to be surrounded by people who share many of the same joys, trials, frustrations, you name it, that come along with pastoral ministry. I was also encouraged being surrounded by a number of other younger pastors. There were about 30 of us there, 30 pastors there, and eight of us were in our 20s, many of whom I went to the Bible college with while I was down there in Atlanta. So that was an encouragement for me seeing the other young pastors at it as well. Um, I'm no longer the, the youngest pastor in the conference. Uh, a few years ago, Isaac Kane uh, took that from me. So go, Isaac, way to go. Um, so that, that was a great encouragement for me, being able to worship and fellowship and learn and disciple with the other ministers in the conference. Then on Friday, uh, there's a funeral service for Brenna's father, Bill. And I'm so glad that our church had the opportunity to express our love to Brenda and her family through the luncheon. Thank you to all of you who helped put on that funeral luncheon. I know Brenda and her family were greatly appreciative of that. And then yesterday, we took a youth outing to Scene 75, and we all had a blast there. It was a great time. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to slow down a bit uh, this week. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been a long time since we've been together last Sunday. But it's good to be back at it as we continue our series on the book of Romans this morning and continuing our pursuit of understanding this gospel message that Paul presents to the people at Rome. And so we are well into the series by now. This is uh, week eight in our series of the book of Romans. We're picking up in Romans chapter five, verse six. If you want to begin finding Romans chapter five, 
So Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. It was a church that consisted of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul wanted to go visit the, the city of Rome to proclaim this gospel message that he had in his heart. And instead, in the meantime, he was going to write a letter presenting the gospel message to the people at Rome. And that's what we read in the letter of Romans, this gospel message that Paul is presenting to the church at Rome. The past two weeks, we, we talked a lot about Abraham. Abraham, we, we learned, was justified by his faith in God. And we are bringing it back again today as we get to talk about another Old Testament figure, one that is even older than Abraham. And so we pick up here in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, where Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What a piece of scripture there. While we are still, while we were still weak, this was before we were filled with the empowering spirit. And so while we were still weak and susceptible to commit sin, Christ died for us. And it wasn't just at any random time that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. But it was just at the right time. God had a plan for the Messiah before he formed the heavens and the earth. He, he foreknew his Messiah before he, he formed the heavens and the earth. I think God knew that mankind would sin and need a savior. And so God was not slow about bringing forth his Messiah into the world, but he was patient, waiting for the perfect circumstances to present his Messiah to the world. And so just at the right time, God introduces Messiah to the world, and his Messiah, Christ, died for the ungodly. And Paul continues in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But listen to this. But God chose his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those are powerful, powerful words here. So Paul states that one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I remember uh, quite well while at the Bible college having a long, intense debate about what we would do if we were in a situation where our children and wife's uh, lives were in danger. And so I was having this, this pretty long, intense debate with a few of my other uh, friends there at the Bible college, and we all had much conviction about what we had to say. I was adamant that I would save my wife before my kids. And as we were having this intense debate about what we would do if we were in this situation, uh, whether or not we, we could only save our wife or our children, I remind you, uh, or I tell you that this is coming from a group of guys that none of us had a wife at that time and none of us had any uh, children at that time. Uh, but reflecting back on it, uh, I'm not sure we really knew uh, what we would do in the heat of the moment. I still don't know if I'm positive what I would do in the heat of the moment. Many of us would say we would die for X, Y, and Z, but I'm not sure we, we know what we are capable of until we get put in that situation. And hopefully, we never have to be put in a situation like that. But Paul tells us that not many people, not many people would die for a good person. But God, on the other hand, that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So when humanity was condemned in our relationship with God, God sent his beloved son to die for us. Before we accept Christ's sacrifice in our lives, we are known and we are identified by our sin. We were sinners. And Christ died for us while we were still in this state of being identified by our sin, being known as sinners. And some people, they, they confuse who it was that died on the cross. A lot of Christians uh, kind of murk the waters by indicating that it was God who died on the cross, not paying too much attention to the fact that God can't die. And that would certainly be very, very, very loving if God would die on the cross for us. A God who, who is perfect, a God who has committed no evil or no sin, that would be the, the, the best gift of love in all of history if God died for us. A lot of, uh, a lot of people, uh, they think about the people that they would die for. There's a lot of people that I have a deep love for. I think if it came down to it, I would lay down my life for you all. The other hand, the list of people that I would lay my son down for is much, much shorter. Maybe one. I'm not sure. I don't want to be put in that situation. But yeah, I don't want to think about that. But it takes a much, much deeper love to lay down your own child for someone else. And so I'd strongly, strongly encourage you guys not to murk the waters on the love that God has for us. As God himself didn't die on the cross, rather, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. For you parents out there, I, I would encourage you to just imagine and reflect on that for a minute. Thinking about sending your beloved child, your beloved son, your beloved daughter for other people. I don't think many of us would do that. That takes an incredible amount of love. But yet God sent his beloved son to die on the cross for you. There is no better demonstration of love in all of human history that God would lay down his perfect son, Jesus. And we're not, we're, not, we're not talking about a son that went off the path and, you know, kind of got what he deserved. No, we're talking about a perfect son. The only man in all of history who did not deserve to be crucified. That is the exact person that God laid down. For who? For you. Why? Because God loves you you. You are tremendously loved by God. And nobody can take that away from you. There is no threat, no thing that anybody can do that, that can take away the love that God has for you on an individual level as God laid down his precious, perfect son, Jesus, for you. Incredible love. So Paul continues in verse 9. Since, since, Christ died for us. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so because of this, because Christ died for us, we have been justified by the blood of Jesus, where formerly we were sinners. 
But when we accept the blood of Jesus in our life, we are then justified. We are deemed righteous. When you look through uh, the account of the New Testament, you'll notice that the church is called a number of different things. The, The church, we're called righteous, we're called saints, we're called the royal priesthood, you name it. A term that you will find missing describing the corporate church is sinner. There's really only uh, two instances that I can find, uh, one in 1 Timothy and one in James, where a Christian or a group of Christians are possibly currently, that's a key word, currently identified as sinners. I'm not uh, confident enough to uh, preach that a sinner is an inaccurate term for us, the church, and I only want to uh, preach and proclaim information I have the utmost confidence in. Uh, but if you guys will just let me uh, express what, what, uh, what I'm thinking, is that it, it makes me extremely uncomfortable uh, to hear God's church described as sinners. As I don't think that is who we are anymore. I don't think we are identified by our sin anymore. I think we are identified by the blood of Jesus that justifies us. That makes us righteous. Unless my mind is changed uh, by the scriptures, you won't uh, find me calling God's church sinners. For I think we are righteous. We were sinners. We were identified by our sin. But verse 9 says, therefore, we have now, we have now been justified. This is a justification that comes at the resurrection. We have been justified. We have been deemed righteous in the eyes of God. That is who we are. Now, disclaimer, for those uh, of you who aren't paying uh, super careful attention, I am not saying that, that we do not commit sin in our life anymore. Not at all. But instead, we aren't identified by our sin anymore. Or formerly, before we accepted the sacrifice of Christ, we were identified by our sin. That, that is who we were. But now, now we have been justified by his blood. You have been declared righteous in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus that covers over you and forgives you and sanctifies you uh, uh, of our former identity. We've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so because we have been justified, because we have been declared righteous in the eyes of God, we are spared, we are saved from the wrath of God. And so Paul continues in verse 10, he says, For if while we were enemies, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, uh, fancy term talking about two two parties, two groups of people coming together. There's forgiveness, there is peace being established between two uh, different parties. And and previously, before Christ, our relationship with God was shattered. It was broken in in the beginning. when, When sin was introduced into the world, that sin broke our relationship with God. But now through the Messiah, through the Christ Jesus and him dying for us, our relationship with God has been reconciled. We, we, we are at peace with God. This is something for us to rejoice in, for, for we are now saved from the wrath of God if we accept the sacrifice of Jesus in our life with faith. And so Paul uh, continues along these uh, same lines, uh, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. And so Paul now, he, he introduces Adam to this discussion. We spent the past two weeks talking about Abraham. We, we can read all about Abraham starting in chapter 12 and his ministry and, and his offspring, uh, you and I, I think. Um, and so here now, Paul, he, we're not talking about Abraham, but we're talking about someone even before the time of Abraham. We are introducing Adam into this discussion. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. It was very good. God looked at it. The first thing that, that was not good with God's creation was that man was alone. And so God, he had Adam there, and then uh, God formed the woman Eve as well out of the man. And so Adam and Eve, I believe they, they had this perfect fellowship with God. They, they had a perfect connection with God for, for sin was not in the picture yet. They, they, their relationship with God had not been broken. And so Adam and Eve in this perfect uh, connection, this perfect fellowship that they had with God, they had one rule. This one rule was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you guessed it, they did exactly that. And so they, they broke the one rule that they had in the garden, and that is when sin entered the picture. And with sin entering the picture, that is when death entered the picture as well. For Adam and Eve, they, they eventually perished because of their sin. And that punishment, that, that curse of sin was brought to all of us as well. And so sin was introduced to the whole world through Adam, through, through this one man, Adam. And this was before the law, before there was right or wrong physically established in the written law. There, there was a period of time uh, where there was no physical written rules of God uh, after Adam and before Moses. So they could not have sinned in the sense that they were disobeying the rules of God, the, the physical written rules of God. However, the sin of Adam was still imputed on, on them collectively. It, it was still put on the, this group of people who lived before the time of the law. And so through Adam, sin was introduced to the world and death was introduced to the world through one man. Thankfully, it doesn't end there because Adam, he is simply a type of the one who was to come. A type is a person or thing that essentially foreshadows another person or thing. And so through one man, Adam, he brought sin and death to the whole world, but he was just a foreshadow of someone else who was to come. And we read who, who this, the, this person that Adam was foreshadowing. So picking up in verse 15, Paul writes, but the free gift it's not like the trespass. It's not like the sin that Adam introduced. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but... The free gift following many tresp trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so through Adam, sin and death was brought to everyone. We, we cannot escape this punishment. We all have sin in our life and we will all experience death unless Jesus returns before them. But Adam was just a type, he was just a foreshadow of the Christ. As through one man, sin and death entered uh, the, the world, it was brought to the entire world through Christ, we would receive the free gift of grace, of justification, of righteousness, and life. And the beauty about uh, the, the, this person, Christ, and, and everything that he brings along with them, uh, he, he, assem- he essentially trumps the consequences of Adam in the long run. Whereas through Adam, all these trespasses and the sin was put on us as mankind and a relationship was broken with God. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. And so even with all of our sin and sin and sin and trespasses and all this evil that we have in our life due to, due to our, our flaws as mankind, through the free gift, we have justification. That free gift trumps the sin that, that we have in our life. For we are deemed righteous in the eyes of God. And for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so this righteousness, this justification, it trumps the sin that enters our life. And the same holds true with the death. As through this free gift, this free gift of God, this eternal life that we can receive, it trumps death. Where at the return of Jesus, we will have victory over death once and for all. The consequences of the Christ are far superior to the consequences of this one man, Adam, who brought sin and death into the world. And this is a free gift for us. We don't pay a dime. We don't pay a penny for this gift of life and justification and righteousness. It is free to us. So Paul continues along the same lines in the following verses, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And so Adam and Jesus, they're, they're really very similar in nature. They're, they're both naturally children of God, and the whole world reaps the repercussions of both Adam and Christ. It's just through Adam that the world reaps sin and death, and it's through Christ that the whole world has an invitation to justification and eternal life. And thank goodness that these repercussions of Christ trump the repercussions, the consequences of this one man, Adam, as well. And Paul talks about one of the purposes of the law is it sheds light on the sin of the people. The law then paves the way for grace. As we all deserve death, we don't deserve anything more than death. We don't really necessarily deserve anything less than death. That's what we deserve for the wages of sin is death. And so that paves a way for grace because we receive something far greater than death. We receive justification. We, we receive the, the, this titleless identity of being righteous and we will receive the free gift of eternal life that was so graciously offered to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a loaded loaded piece of scripture here as Paul contrasts the notion of sin and death with the idea of justification and eternal life. This passage, uh, I think, further helps us identify who we are in the eyes of God. I think our our identity is so, so important for us to, to understand. What we think about ourselves plays such a pivotal role in how we act on a daily basis. And we were sinners. We, we had a broken relationship with God. We had nothing coming our way except the wrath of God. But God showed his love for us, for you, and that while we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still identified by the sin in our life, God laid down his perfect, precious son, Jesus. No better demonstration of love in all the history of mankind. So it's imperative to understand that you have been justified. You are righteous in the eyes of God. Don't for a second belittle the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He bled and suffered and was tortured and died so that you could be identified as righteous, so that you could be justified from the sin in your life. As God justifies us by laying down his precious son for us. That is who you are. You are righteous. And you better believe that you are loved. A love that nobody can take away from you. And so as we transition into communion this morning, we reflect on the love that God displayed for each and every one of us. Uh, Paul wrote about uh, communion, and I'll just read uh, real briefly for you guys. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and starting in verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So that same night that that Jesus was eventually betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sitting there with his beloved disciples and and he took the the bread, he says, take, eat, for for essentially this represents the body of Jesus being broken for us. And in the same way, the same supper together with, with, with his disciples, in the same way, verse 25, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we partake of the bread and the cup together as a body of believers, we are proclaiming that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ die for us. And we are proclaiming that through what what this bread and this cup represent, through the blood of Jesus, we have been justified. What a glorious, glorious message we have today. Let's go ahead and let's pray over the bread. Father, we love you. Father, we can't begin to imagine the love that you have for us as you laid down your precious son, Jesus, for each and every one of us, even while we were still sinners. So Father, I just pray that we do not take this price lightly, this deep price that you paid for us to have access to eternal life, for us to be justified. And so we thank you for this bread as it represents the body of your son being broken for us. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Father, we drink of this cup in remembrance of your son and the steep price that he paid on the cross and the steep price that you paid as you watched your beloved son die and suffer on the cross. So Father, we thank you for the blood that was spilt on behalf of us. It's in Christ's precious and holy and perfect name that we pray, amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Father, thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.